welcome back to season two of Outside of Session. I'm your host, licensed clinical social worker and therapist BFF, Julie Hilton. This season, I'm interviewing some incredible guests who also happen to be experts in their fields. Mental health, motherhood, spirituality, and so much more, I can't wait for their stories to be told. These are all the conversations I'm having outside of session. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Outside of Session. Today we're going to be talking about understanding ADHD and autism in women. And I had the chance to sit down with Megan Heller Foley, who is a licensed clinical social worker at Awaken Counseling in Marietta, Georgia. And this is Megan's specialty, and I'm so thankful that she sat down to talk with me today because she has just so much knowledge in this area and was able to answer so many of the questions that I had. A little more about Megan, she has a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's in social work and has been a licensed social worker since 2012, and she's been a therapist in private practice for the past six years. Megan's lived experience as a neurodiverse person has led her to focus on helping others navigate their lives with ADHD and autism. Her other interests include reading psychological thrillers and romanticy books and almost all fandoms. She is currently engulfed in The Hobbit. She also enjoys board games, 90 Day Fiance, and all of its spinoffs, and the never-ending pursuit of knowledge and acceptance of living as a neurodiverse person. On a personal note, I've known Megan for almost a decade, and we actually used to work together at the beginning of our career, and she is without a doubt one of the kindest, most authentic, and funniest people that I have ever met, and I'm just really grateful to be able to call her a friend as well. So I hope you enjoy today's episode as I sit down and learn from Megan. Hey, Megan. Hi, Julie. I'm so excited to have you here today. Well, I'm excited to be here. Um, I said in the intro a minute ago that you and I have actually known each other for a really long time. And I was trying to think the other day, I think I started, you were already working there before I was, right? Yes. Yes. And, so I, and I got to like be a part of some of your training there, I think. Like we got to eat lunch together in the oh, little- yeah, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> that was back in, I think I started there in 2015. Probably one of the few lunch breaks you or I had um, uh, full time working there, right? <laughs> right. They, they they presented it like I was going to get lunch breaks, uh, but that didn't actually happen, right? <laughs> it was it was a big ruse. Yeah, we eat lunch in this cafeteria every day. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking. You know, even thinking about that, like how far we've come, like. I just have to say, like, thank God for how far we've come and that we're not still there. But we've gone, yes. like, in similar directions in our career and that we're both, like, in private practice now, but we work with very different populations. Um, yeah, obviously, sure. a lot of overlap. But you have become, like, this expert, and I'm just so proud of you. Oh, thank you. It's so cool. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about understanding ADHD and autism and women. Um, like, that's your that's your niche. That's what you specialize in now. So I don't even know where to start because I'm not very educated in this. So I'm just going to start by asking for you to like, tell, tell us everything that you wish the average person knew about autism and ADHD and especially how it presents in girls and women. Sure. 
Well, I'm going to start by saying that uh, I'm going to talk about ADHD and autism both together as a spectrum. Okay. I'm not really going to um, differentiate that much because there is a lot of overlap and there's a lot of misdiagnosis in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I'm going to be talking about um, women slash girls um, as you know, grade school, as college students, as, you know, people in the workforce, as, you know, older women, you know, I'm going to kind of uh, talk about the full kind of lifespan um, of women here. Um, so I'm, I'm going to start with um, talking, basically going to, going to grade school, okay. you know, uh, so what do I wish the average person knew? Um, and so I'm going to begin by saying that the presentation in girls and women is different. So with boys slash little boys, um, people are generally able to recognize the symptoms and they're diagnosed pretty early on. You know, they're allowed, they have behaviors, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's just a lot more in your face and obvious. And the girls are a totally different story. Uh, We're finding so many women getting diagnosed with ADHD and autism as adults because they were overlooked as children due to masking. Um, The girls might have as extreme outward behaviors and they're perceived as nice and good girls. Um, So every time I hear that, it makes me want to gag just a little bit. Like the amount of conversations that I've had, not even pertaining to ADHD and autism, but just like, the times that girls are told to be good girls and how much, I don't know, like damage that does later on. Yes. How much you end up suppressing about your personality and like your natural characteristics, like your assertiveness and things like that, just get like squash because you're trained to be a nice, good girl. Oh, and then uh, it leads women and girls to not getting support Mm -hmm. or early intervention. Um, So then they don't get the awareness or skill sets needed to navigate life as an adult with ADHD or autism. So they don't get that early intervention um, that perhaps the boys with the outward loud symptoms get. Um, So they kind of have to start from the beginning, you know, getting diagnosed at 18, 20, 25, um, you know, with with some of the uh, different life skill sets that the boys may have gotten earlier on. Yeah. Um, so, uh, another thing I wish the average person knew is, um, this is kind of like a tie into trauma. Most of the people that I see and deal with have trauma from being parented and schooled under the umbrella of being neurotypical, you know, wow, people, yeah. um, think, uh, you know, it's like this for, for in school, it's like this one size fits all type of mm-hmm. situation. Um, and, and, and it's really not, I've, I've heard actually a lot of parents, um, kind of have regrets and be like, man, I just didn't know how to raise you. I didn't know, you know, that, that you were dealing with this and I would have done things a little bit differently, but like, I thought children were supposed to act this way and that this was what I was supposed to do about it. Um, and so there is, you know, a lot of trauma that arises, uh, you know, later on from trying to fit into a neurotypical box. I don't think I've ever like really, really thought about that, about, I mean, I have about how hard that must have been to go without a diagnosis because we see, like you said, like they, they didn't have access to the resources and the help that they needed. Right. But I haven't really thought about that on like, from a trauma perspective, 
But that's what trauma is so much in childhood is not getting your needs met. And the messages that you end up internalizing about yourself when those needs go unmet. Yes, yes. And I have actually um, heard people say, like, via the parenting thing, um, uh, my parents beat the autism out of me. Oh, my God. Which basically um, means, you know, the parents thought they were weird and annoying and, you know, were perhaps abusive verbally or physically yeah. because of their weird, annoying kid that they didn't know how to handle. And then the kids learned how to mask so well that, you know, they no longer, you know, qualified in a clinical sense for an autism diagnosis. Okay. So masking is a term that I've heard before that you're using. Um, can you like define that a little bit? Help me understand that. Yes. So I kind of wanted to do like a, a little bit of a, a visualization. And this is actually, um, <laughs> I made this um, about like how I feel when I go to CEUs, kind of, yeah. <laughs> or, or when I'm in uh, just, uh, you know, really most social events where, you know, I don't know a whole lot of people or, and this is kind of how I felt in school too. So um, <clears throat> you're in a room full of people and you're looking around and you realize nobody is like you. You feel like you are an alien from another planet. Mm. You thought you wore the right thing, but now you realize it's quite different from what everybody else is wearing. You're sensitive to certain clothings and fabrics, so you have to keep your fashion pretty specific. You think saying thing, you think you're saying things that are funny or interesting, and then you realize you've been talking for way too long and nobody's paying attention to what you're saying. You realize that people are in groups, they're laughing and they're socializing while you're finding yourself alone. Um, you realize, you know, kind of in that moment, oh, wait, I need to try to identify and fit in with the people around me. Mm. And you start grasping at different ways to be perceived as normal. And then, you know, doing those things to try to fit in. And so, so, so these things are masking. Yeah. You know, when you say that, it makes me think of, um, a quote that I'm going to botch, I'm sure, but it's something like, if you're, if somebody tells you that you're high functioning, whether it's anxiety, high functioning, depression, high functioning, ADHD, whatever it is, that high functioning just means that you make it for easier for other people. Yes. But it doesn't yeah. mean that your experience is any easier. It just means that it's more like palatable for other people and you yes. can fit into their norm better. And it doesn't credit like all the extra footwork you're doing to be perceived that right. way. Like, if you are high functioning, that actually is probably more exhausting because you're having to work so hard to meet other people's expectations and make them comfortable. Right. But it's like taking so much effort on your part. Yes. Okay. Which, which brings, me to the, brings me to the next part of masking, which is this means you're not living your true authentic self. Mm. You're doing what needs to be done to pass as a normal individual. So you're sacrificing your true self in order to fit into these boxes that yeah. other people have created, like school, work, friendships, workshops, or any kind of social norms. Um, now, some degree of masking is necessary. Like, you know, there are basic social skills that, you know, we, we need to be able to order food, right? Yeah. You know, or, or, you know, have have certain interactions. You know, kids that are like, mom, you need to order for me. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like you can't do that forever, yeah. right? Um, so you there's, there's some things uh, that you have to be able to do to interact with the rest of the world. Um, but... I do believe there are ways to create a life, a quality life worth living around who we truly are, like at our core center. Um, oh my God, I love that. Yeah. 
that. Well, and there is space for everybody. Yeah. You know, not everybody like follows this specific direction in life, you know, like college, career, marriage, kids, you know, not everybody has the same milestones and we kind of have to throw all of that uh, out the window when we're, you know, talking about, uh, you know, people with different neurodivergences. I love that. Yeah. Because I think that, I think a lot of times when people go to therapy, um, they think, how can I change so that I can, because if you think that you stick out, you think that that's the thing that you need to change, right? So that you can fit in better. Right. And that's so inauthentic. Like you said, like, I love what you just said about like, you're not living according to like who you really are. And that's, that's no way to live. And so what you're saying is like coming to therapy helps you actually know yourself better, accept yourself more and be able to live a more authentic life. Yes. Yes. And one kind of small example, some people might have debates about this, but I have um, a lot of uh, parents come to me. Oh, can you see my, um, you know, 15 to, you know, 25 year old daughter? Um, You know, they, uh, they don't have any friends. They don't do sports, you know, you know, they need help making friends. And and it's like, okay. And and then we start talking and like the question that comes up for me is like, well, do you want friends? Yeah. And nobody's ever like gone there, you know, with them. And, and, you know, a lot of times it's like, they're not really interested. It's just like society has put this idea into like parents and kids heads that like, we have to have these social groups and, you know, play soccer and like do these different social norms. And it's like a lot of you know, neurodivergent people, they, they might just want to identify with their families or, you know, I, I identify with their, you know, work or their, their friends on the video games because like, they don't want to have that face-to-face contact. And, you know, it just, it, it looks very differently for everybody. I like that too, because it, it really, I imagine in your work, you spend a lot of time, like really realizing what society puts on us. And how so yeah. much of what we think is like, quote unquote, normal is actually like, ah, uh, or is that really me? Or is that what, what society has told me I'm supposed to have and do and be those kind of things. Right. Like, because I, I think you're right. Like I work a lot with, um, people who are naturally just very introverted and they come to therapy because they're having like a lot of social anxiety say. And so their goal when they come in is I want to be less socially anxious because society has told them they need to be extroverted. And some of the work we do is to actually say, for what are you happy? Are you happy staying at your house and reading on a Friday night? And they're like, yeah, like I much prefer it, but they've been told that that's not a good thing. And so it's almost like their goal shift from how do I get rid of this social anxiety to how do I accept that I'm just as worthy being introverted and having like one or two friends and you don't even require a lot of like time with them. Right. Right. You could just like, absolutely be an introvert at home. And that's like, that's almost like the, the validation they need to say like, there is nothing wrong with it. And I've definitely gone through that because I I have a sister who is the most extroverted social butterfly in the entire world. Like, and I'm so the opposite. Like I'm very introverted. And for years I tried to force myself because I thought that that's what I was supposed to do. And now I'm just like perfectly happy to be at home on a Friday night. And it's so freeing to like be able to tell myself I'm not wrong for this. Right. 
Absolutely. And then ultimately you have more quality of life yeah. and you are a happier individual, uh, which is kind of like what it's all about. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So back to ADHD and autism, what does that look like in your practice? Um, working with clients, like what does that therapy look like? Sure. So kind of, you know, back to what we were just talking about. So I work on not, not changing someone inherently. Okay. Yeah. You know, your, your personality traits, you know, your characteristics, like a, a lot of those things cannot be changed. So why are we going to try to force someone to change those things? Um, you know, but we, we do work on, you know, basic skill sets that you need to navigate the world. Um, and then, you know, we really get into specifics on accommodations. Mm-hmm. Now accommodations can be official or unofficial, you know, um, but accommodations in grade school, college, jobs and social settings. Yeah. So I have um, some clients that, you know, when they have to be in a social setting, um, they will bring like a, a bag of things that make them feel comfortable yeah. or they'll wear like fidget spinner jewelry or, you know, we, we set up accommodations and prepare um, for these things. Um, you know, like uh, if they have to uh, speak at work or they're doing a job interview um, or trying to figure out what major um, they're going mm-hmm. to do in college, um, you know, obviously like public speaking, that's going to be a really hard class. How are we going to get through that? Maybe we'll do that online, you know, (laughs) just ways to kind of navigate this system while being able um, to maintain um, who we are. So sometimes I think it's like the social work part of me, like sometimes we're um, you know, we're on college websites, you know, picking out like the classes and, and trying to, you know, navigate when a good time to take those classes is based off of when we function best during the day. Oh, yeah. So I also focus on what I call, uh, well, two things, a, a whole body perspective and a lifespan perspective. And I'm going to first, I want to talk about the whole body yeah. perspective, which involves um, a lot of check-ins with basic needs. Um, because a lot of times people with ADHD and autism um, really struggle with the mind-body connection. Mm, yeah. Like they don't when they're hungry. They don't know the last time they drank a cup of water. Um, you know, they, 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 sometimes they can't tell. I, I, I know for me, I've been in just a horrible mood, like acted crappy to a bunch of people. And then the end of the day, I'm like, oh, I have a sinus infection. Mm. Didn't know. You know, yeah. like I di- didn't have that kind of like awareness to make that connect, especially in my younger years. Um but I, like, I know this is going to sound so basic and almost funny, but like every session is like, are you drinking enough water? And, you know, most of the time it's no. And then sometimes it's still no. But a lot of clients like they start and they're like, oh, I actually feel a little bit better. You know, yeah. <laughs> like ignoring basic needs is a huge part of ADHD and autism. Um, and so we, you know, also, you know, are you sleeping well? You know, maybe that has a tie to how anxious you're feeling today um, or you know, how uh, uh, not productive you're feeling today. Um, So those just basic life check-ins. And then for the lifespan perspective, um, I like to focus on what people want their life to look like in the next five, 10, 20 years. You know, what uh, what is going to give them quality of life? What are their goals going to be? Um, Because like, you know, like I said before, neurotypical people might want kind of standard life goals, you know, college graduation, a good group of friends, you know, brunch on a Sunday, (laughs) um, mimosas, a a relationship, a wedding, 
children, you know, things um, that look like that, you know, a gender reveal party, like, you know, things like the, the neurotypical, you know, like parents are probably like, oh, I can't wait for this, this and this. But, um, you know, in those with autism and ADHD, they might not be interested in, you know, some or any of those things. So their lifespan goals mm -hmm. are going to look very different. And so we have to like adjust the the therapy um, based on on those goals. But I imagine like if it, again, like if it's not typical, if it's not normal, it's hard to even like come up with that for yourself because think about it. Like if you're neurotypical and those, all of those things are on your list, you didn't really think of those things yourself. Right. It, right. That path has already been defined for you. And side note, it's largely disappointing for a lot of people to follow that path, right? Um, yes. But that's besides the point. But you didn't have to think of that plan for yourself. You're just following almost like a script. But if you're yeah. if you're talking about you're working with your clients to define that for themselves, I would imagine it's kind of like, okay, cool. I can give myself permission to come up with it on my own, but where do I start? I feel like, you know, starting at, I, I try to get clients to like make a list of like what they like and who they are at like a very basic sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, I remember when I was like 20, I, I, I did this for myself and I was like, I like smoothies. You know, I started at very yeah. basic things. Like, I don't even, I'm not even exactly sure who I am. So I need to start like taking some of this stuff down. Um, and then, you know, like, their, you know, their five-year goal may be like on Friday nights, I want to read in my bed, you know, like, I just want to be able to get to that point where I'm, I'm having a quality life yeah. and this is what that entails, you know, and it doesn't need to be these big grandiose things. Yes. It just needs to involve, uh, and it doesn't have to be, you know, spectacular, you know, not everybody, uh, you know, backpacks across Europe, you know, just <laughs> like having, um, a, a life worth living and well-lived. I love that. And I think a, a lot of people like FOMO immediately comes up, right? Like how our society is obsessed with having Instagram worthy lives. Right. Picture perfect. Um, like, like you said, like these, like life is supposed to be full of these really big moments, but that's not life. That's not. Right. Life is the little moments mm -hmm. and I, I always tell my clients to like, find what gives you peace, hold on to it and never let it go. Yeah. Um, I know for a lot of my clients, um, I consider this kind of like inner child work, but like they, they go back and rewatch their Disney movies. Yeah. You know, yeah. like if that's working for you, like, I don't care who has a problem with it, keep doing it. Yeah. Like, you know, what, whatever it is, um, that helps you to regulate and brings you peace in your life. I'm fine with it. So. We didn't talk about this question before, um, so I'm going to kind of throw it at you. But I'm always curious, like, when people reach out for therapy, what do they already know about themselves? Like, do most of your clients come to you already having a, like, a clinical diagnosis, typically? Um, or there are some people that are are very new to even exploring their struggles and you start to notice, like, I think maybe I'm seeing some of this, like, what is that usually like? So I have had a lot of females come to me with extreme debilitating anxiety. Okay. And they can't pinpoint it. 
you know, they, 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 you know, it comes on for no reason. Um, it has a lot of physical effects, um, you know, uh, pain in the chest, trouble breathing, yeah. um, things like that. And as we dig deeper, um, we can find some like symptoms of ADHD and autism. Um, like, okay. Like, uh, in ADHD, you can't, uh, effectively like prioritize and organize, and then you're not getting anything done. And then you are paralyzed. Yes. I call it the ADHD paralysis. Um, you know, you have fallen into a hole yeah. and you cannot get out of that hole. And so, you know, as we dig deeper, we can kind of find like the source. And so I don't know if I would so much call it like a wrong diagnosis or possibly an additional diagnosis. Um, but well, this is kind of why I like the term neurodiversity, um, like instead of like, you know, super specific stuff, uh, because everybody kind of has their own unique, specific makeup. And then we just have to find what works for people's individual brains. Yeah. I think that's how I've always felt about diagnoses because that's usually a, a yes or no, black or white, you have it or you don't. And that, yes. that just doesn't work for the average person. Right. And so what you're saying is like, you're less focused on the diagnosis and more the person and the makeup of, of their particular struggles, but also their strengths and also like finding themselves with it too. Yes, absolutely. When do you recognize, so if someone is, um, suspecting that, that maybe they have ADHD or autism, at what point do you recommend that someone actually go for a clinical diagnosis where they have to go through all the testing and what does that testing even look like? So yeah, uh, are, um, uh, well, first I'm going to say they're a commitment. Yeah, they are. And they, <laughs> they, are. they are, you know, even with insurance, without insurance, you're looking probably at three to $5,000 with insurance. You're looking at probably at least a thousand dollars. And a lot of times insurance um, doesn't cover. Is that right? Like I think I've heard right. from a lot of people. Or they'll cover this part, but not that part. Yeah. Um, and it's like, um, you know, five day process, pro usually not consecutively, like over a month or two months. Okay. Um, and I usually recommend, the, I mean, it would be nice if everybody got them. Um, and, and a lot of people do, you know, schools provide them, okay. you know, so that's how a lot of people get initiated if, um, you know, the schools identified some sort of issue. Yeah. Um, but for a lot of these folks, um, that hasn't happened. And so there's a lot of barriers in adulthood, uh, to getting them because they're not free and you have to self advocate and, you know, find somebody and, you know, is it the right person to do the psych yeah. eval? Um, I, I read psych evals all the time and, you know, sometimes, um, you know, they're kind of mid-level, whatever, you know, 15 pages, but I've gotten ones that are like 44 pages yeah. and like half of that is like recommendations on uh, accommodations for how that uh, person could be living a better life. Um, and I mean, psych evals are great to me. They're artwork. Wow. Like, wow. I, I just, I love, I love, I love a good psych eval. Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to shout out Mind in Motion in Swanee does the best psych evals I've ever seen in my life. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, but, uh, it's, but yeah, so, so again, they're, they're commitment, they're difficult for adults, but I do recommend them because they, a lot of times it helps people to like see it on paper and to be able to identify with, oh, okay, I've been feeling this way 
for so long with no name or no understanding of what's going on in my brain and body. And, yeah. you know, now the answer and now I can come up, um, you know, with specific treatment for those things. There's like very, you know, specific options. And so it, it can be very helpful to see it on paper. But on the flip side, it is a lot like when I'm reading them, I put myself in my client or their parents position and it's heavy. And like, I, sometimes I've cried a little when, re- you know, cause it's, it's just, um, you know, it's a lot to basically see your life story and kind of brain map on a piece of paper. Yeah. So there's two sides to them. Yeah, for sure. Hey everyone, I just wanted to pause for a quick moment to say thank you so much for all the love and support that you're showing outside of session. If you haven't already, do me a huge favor and hit the subscribe button, give me a five-star review and share this podcast with all of your friends. Help me take this show to another level. Now back to today's episode. That leads me into another question I had, which we talked a little bit before we started recording, and that is TikTok. (laughs) TikTok and Instagram and how I feel like ADHD especially, um, I have seen lately, it's almost like it's trending. And I think that as humans, we naturally do this where when more information is available and people are shining light on something all of a sudden it's everywhere. It's kind of like, I see things about narcissism everywhere right now. Um, but I'm seeing that a lot where there's all kinds of like reels and TikToks about my, my ADHD brain. And then they go on to say something that they're claiming is a symptom of ADHD. And I have had friends and clients come in and they're convinced that they have ADHD because of social media can you speak a little bit about that of maybe like are there pros and cons to that information being out there and like how it's affecting not just your clients, but like other people that, you know? Yes. I think it's funny, you know, with social media, we're like connected all the time, but also disconnected all the time. So I think we're a little bit, in a sense, we're lonely and we want to feel a part of something. Yeah. Uh, And so you see something, you know, that, uh, you know, maybe relatable and um, you you just, you want to feel a part of it. Um, And and it may, I I don't know, I like to say symptoms of instead of, um, (laughs) you know, you may be experiencing symptoms of whatever that diagnosis of TikTok is, but that doesn't mean you are, you know, bipolar one and schizoaffective, right? Like it doesn't like, you know, people... um, I've actually seen a huge uptick in um, dissociative identity disorder. Um, I had something must have gotten released and, you know, I had a lot of clients all of a sudden, you know, they're sure of it. Right. And, and then it's like, but, you know, as a therapist, you know, about like parts work. Right. Right. And we all have parts in our living room um, of our brain and those parts come out at different times. And it certainly does not mean that you have dissociative identity disorder. Um, So there's a lot of stuff out there and there's a lot of people that want to be a part of stuff, uh, but it doesn't really uh, mean that it's accurate. But I feel like if you can identify with something and it makes you feel better, uh, then I'm fine with it. <laughs> like if you saw that TikTok and it may, and you recognized a piece of yourself in that and you said, oh my gosh, 
somebody else feels that way too, uh, this, you know, now I feel better than, you know, ultimately it was a positive experience and that's okay. Yeah. I'm even thinking about what you said before about it being a spectrum. And so if we look at everything as a spectrum, if you've got, um, like the more intense, severe on one end, the other one, we probably all have symptoms of, like you said, like symptoms of the same way we all have symptoms of narcissism, right? Like we can all have those symptoms of, and it doesn't mean again, like you have a clinical diagnosis where you would need medication or specific interventions or things like that. You might just have a symptom of it. And if that's something that someone is posting about that you can relate to, whether it's just like, um, I don't know, like I see things about, especially for the ADHD brain of ways to organize their life so that things are just like easier to manage, especially with like organizational skills and stuff like that. Focus more on how that could help rather than, yeah. oh my gosh, do I need to go get a diagnosis? Yes. Like developing skill sets that work for you. Yeah. And I call this um, throwing spaghetti against the wall to see what's yeah. next. <laughs> not all going to work for you, you know, and if it doesn't work for you, leave it, you know, I say, you know, take, take what you need and leave the rest. Um, you know, take it and run just like finding your peace, you know, take it, hold on to it and run with it (laughs) and don't let it go. Do you have a sense of why this is trending all of a sudden? Because there Um, are about that. I think that, you know, obviously, like, uh, you know, previous to today's world, there was a lot of, you know, clinical information, you know, psychologists, therapists, re- you know, releasing information, there was a DSM. And now, like the general public wants to make sense of all that, and wants to um, talk about it, like person to person, not professional to person. Yeah, um, I like and that. I- I've actually tried to really incorporate that in my therapy practice, like come person to person, like come as I am. I'm not better than you because I went to school for this. Like I'm a human, you're a human, you know, let's figure out how to get the most quality of life. You know, I just think being on it, people like uh, being on an even playing field. They don't want to be in like a sterile environment um, with someone wearing a blazer and no offense, I know blazers are really in style right now, but like they don't, they don't want a therapist that comes into the room, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, looking like, you know, their high school teacher that was like judgmental or whatever, you know, they, yeah. they you know, want somebody that they can really identify with and relate to and feel very comfortable opening up. Yeah. A hundred percent. I agree with that too. Like, I think that, um, obviously like boundaries and things are really important, but I would say that with my clients, I probably make an older generation of therapists cringe <laughs> right? Right. with like coming with my authentic self because I'm like, we're dealing with trauma. Like you need to be able to feel comfortable and vulnerable with the person that you're sitting in front of. And if you think that they have their life completely all together, that's going to automatically put you in a position of feeling like, like you can't be as authentic with your therapist. So Yes. And I'm sure you can see behind me, like I, you know, practice with like a castle in my background. <laughs> yeah. so, like I just, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. And I change it all the time to like something else really silly yeah. or fun, but I've had, you know, people of all ages, like love the castle in the background, you know, they just like, it, it's okay to be yourself and to be fun and to be silly. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a sterile environment. <laughs> yeah, I like that. And I think that even the conversations about mental health aren't 
like they aren't so clinical anymore. Right. Like even, even on this podcast this season, like every therapist that I've interviewed so far, like I say, please don't make this a presentation because I'm going to fall asleep and nobody's going to listen to it. Like <laughs> don't bring up your PowerPoint yeah. because that's not what we're here for. Yes. People have had enough about that and yeah. they just want to be having real conversations with real people, which I think is like, and then TikTok, you know, it's like, you know, a 30 second message, yeah. you know, that's kind of what people just want a little piece you know, here and there. And, uh, and, and it's just really blown up for better or for worse. You know, uh, sometimes I think it's a really great thing to raise awareness. Um, but then, you know, it also, um, people can get a little bit obsessed, um, and, you know, kind of go down a rabbit hole of like, wait a minute, like, is my, (laughs) is my best friend a narcissist that they did this, this, and this, or, you know, different things like that. It reminds me of us being in like grad school when all of a sudden we were like self-diagnosing and we were convinced that everybody had everything. I feel like the general population is going through that now (laughs) where they're like, it's, it's being talked about, which is so good. And I'm glad that there's so much more like conversations about mental health and things like that. But I think that everybody's going through a phase of, not just saying I have symptoms of, but everybody's like self-diagnosing right now. Yes. Oh, and I also, you know, want to go back to like, you know, 2020 COVID, Mm. you know, we were all trapped with ourselves and, you know, for a lot of people, nobody but ourselves or, or we're with our immediate family. We're forced to take a good hard look at who we are and who they are. And then I think that's kind of when um, this trend kind of started to explode. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and a lot of, you know, good information, a lot of misinformation out there. Um, but I really think that's had an impact on, uh, you know, looking at ourselves inwardly a lot more. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, another thing that I wanted to ask is how can women advocate for themselves, especially if they feel like they're either being dismissed or maybe they don't have the time, the resources, um, to get, you know, an an official diagnosis, they don't have access to it. Like, um, I'm just thinking about, or maybe they wouldn't actually meet criteria, right? Like, because if we're talking about a spectrum, well, so this is, I mean, my answer to this is kind of like unfortunate and sad. Um, this is, this is hard. Um, and I'm going to actually use a real life example okay. uh, uh, here. And uh, it's of my sister and I have her permission to like kind of tell her little story from school. Um, so uh, my sister is, was, she was quiet and well behaved. Um, she made okay C's, you know, just barely passed. Um, she wasn't failing, but she never really excelled. Um, she would get um, extreme anxiety and not be able to go to school for weeks. Um, and when she was at school, she was just looking out the windows and, you know, just, just, just you know, not, not able to really focus or pay attention. Um, so my mom went to the school and they're like, there's something wrong here. We need to do something. And uh, she had already gone through the diagnosis process with me. So she kind of knew like what was up. And the school was like, oh, no, she's a great girl. She never causes a problem. We have no need to test her for any kind of learning disability. Uh, so like, if you're not causing a problem. Right. So um, that Christmas, we went to uh, feed the homeless with Must Ministries. And the director of the school board was feeding the homeless with us. And my mom got to talking to him. And he, you know, got the school to test her. 
and, you know, learning disability, processing issues. And then finally, um, she was able to get accommodations. She wasn't missing school after that. Um, but it was like a pretty big fight, um, because she was just, you know, oh, she's a good girl, you know? So, um, but if my mom, if we hadn't been feeding the homeless at most ministries on that Christmas with the school board director, we probably went to, she wouldn't have been able to get help. So it's, I, I mean, I, 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 I hate to be negative, but unless you have like an advocate, it's extremely hard. Um, so, uh, you know, because it, advocating for yourself is really hard and not everybody has like a person in their corner on their team to like, yeah. you know, push them in that direction. Yeah. So, so do you have, so yeah, I'm even thinking about for your clients that you're working with, how do you help them find their voice so that they can get accommodations at work at, you know, in college, especially I'm thinking about people who might be listening to this, right? Like, um, when you're outside of a school system, like that phase of your life is already over and you're just in a job. Mm -hmm. How do you advise women to speak up for themselves and find their voice? Sure. Well, back back to the college thing, I'll fill out, um, I fill out all that paperwork for, um, you know, accommodations, you know, based on whatever the, uh, the issue is, but, um, in jobs, you know, people don't realize that there's, um, protection for people with disabilities. Um, yeah. Talk about that. Yeah. So, I mean, there have, you know, a lot, a lot of employers, like they kind of have to provide some sort of reasonable uh, accommodations um, for uh, different disabilities. So, um, and I think uh, even if it's not official, you know, you could do things like unofficially, um, you know, like, like, you know, a different chair to sit in, you know, a, a, a 10 minute break, Um you know, I, I know for me, um, I would work for 50 minutes and then I would walk for 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, when I had a, uh, <laughs> an official job working for somebody else, that was like a big problem. <laughs> and I was like, you're just walking all the time, aren't you? And I'm like, you know, this is just how I work best. And I really need you to leave me alone about it. Like, um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm even thinking about is like, if you, if you are doing things for yourself that knows it actually makes you a, a better employee, but it makes you like your day go smoother. Right. Um, yes. But other people, especially people that it's not their business, but you're having to provide some kind of explanation for why I have to do this. Like, how do you advise people to, I don't know, to be able to have those conversations with people. Cause I heard you say, well, this is what helps me. This is what makes me uh, like function my best. But I don't know. Like, I think that there are so many people that are just, judgmental and make a lot of assumptions and they want you to be neurotypical, right? Like without even realizing that that's what the expectation is that they're putting on you, but essentially that's what they're asking. Yes. And I consider this kind of like the ultimate exercise in vulnerability. Um, You know, like getting with that person, that whatever boss, supervisor, that (laughs) whatever the above you person is, I've never been good at hierarchy. It's hard for me to understand why people are above other people. Um, But getting with that person and being like, okay, (laughs) my brain works a little bit differently. And um, I, I, I can meet the job expectations. Okay. Like I, I can do what I'm supposed to do here, but I have to do it a little bit differently. And, you know, here's how that's going to go. 
Um, and, you know, and, and then, you know, there may be some negotiations, a little bit of compromise, but ultimately, um, I, I feel like my clients have been pretty successful uh, at, at navigating that um, with vulnerability, right? Because it's hard to open up to this person that's perceived as being above you and being like, here's something that uh, is a lifelong struggle right. of mine that I'm working really hard um, to navigate and be successful, like within the scope of it. Um, and, you know, here, here are the things I need. Yeah. And I would imagine just like talking about that with a therapist and role-playing a little bit, like what your phrases are that you're going to say, I would imagine that that would just feel so empowering that you're not having to figure out how to phrase things on your own. Yes. Yeah. Oh, sometimes we write emails together and like like press send while we're in session. I do that kind of thing too. Yeah. You know, like why not? Uh, So it, um, you know, that kind of thing is helpful. And and a lot of times the, you know, the therapist becomes the advocate. Uh, And because they're really, you know, a lot of people don't have somebody or they're an adult. So they don't have like their, you know, mom or their dad, you know, you know, pushing for them to get a psych eval or pushing for the tutoring or the extra help, you know, that's the social worker and you coming out. I love it. Yes, absolutely. So a lot of people don't know the difference between like the different degrees that you can get to become a therapist, but Megan and I both have a degree in social work. And I think that that's a huge component of it is it's not just learning therapy and like how, um, our inner working, like our mind works and our relationships with stuff like that work, but it also is like big picture, how much your environment right changes you. And that's what really drew me to social work too, is to like, you can't just take the person out of the environment and expect to do the same interventions on people when they come from different socioeconomic status, um, different races, different religions. Like it's not like you have to look at the entire person. So that's what you're describing as like being an advocate. I love it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And even uh, this might be a little bit off topic, but like, you know, if people are having like an issue with their health insurance or they're changing jobs, like we get on there, we navigate the marketplace and, you know, because if they lose their health insurance, they, you know, they can't see me anymore. (laughs) They can't get their medicine. Uh, They can't see their psychiatrist. Like, you know, they're going to lose all access to um, those services. So like, you know, letting people know what services are out there, what resources are out there connecting with those. I feel like that's a lot of the, the, uh, the social work piece, which I love is like these being aware of these resources yeah. and connecting with the resources. Yeah, for sure. Another thing that, um, I wanted to ask you is about a resource that you just kind of put together. Um, I saw that you did like an, an immersive experience and I thought that was yeah. so cool. Can you tell us about that? Yes, absolutely. And this is, um, you know, it's for everybody, but like, especially, you know, women with autism and ADHD. So everybody has sensory sensitivities and things that they're sensory seeking with, okay? Um, You know, some people can't handle um, loud noises or certain fabrics, um, and then some people love bright colors and loud and fast. You know, everybody has different, like, sensory needs. Um, And so in my sensory immersion group, um, we go through um, about, like, 20 different types of experience for every sense. So you smell different things and you rate them on a one to 10. Is it soothing or do you hate it? And it makes you feel terrible. Oh, that's so Uh, interesting. Yes. And then what you like, you take, you keep, you, you take, you know, if, if, if peppermint worked for you, great. Lavender, you hated it. Don't take it. You know, you also learn Um, something about yourself because you're learning like 
what the kind of like what a trigger is and what it does so that you can shape your environment around that too, right? Yes. And also um, like getting to know yourself more Mm -hmm. and decision-making, you know, I saw in the group people struggle with like their one to 10, you know, like, Oh, I don't know if I trust myself, you know, enough to like identify if I even liked that or not, you know, so so you're trusting yourself and you're getting to know yourself more based off of all these decisions. Um, And then for, you know, sight, um, you know, we had sun catchers and, you know, pretty pictures and, um, just, just all kinds of uh, 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 images and quotes um, and just, you know, things that would, if they work for you, you know, could be soothing visually. That is so interesting. When I saw your like advertisement about it, that's not what I thought it was, which I, oh, I guess I don't okay. know what I thought, um, but I didn't really, like, I guess I thought it was like a, like we, when people go do um, like sound bath and stuff like that. So I thought it was a, we did Tibetan singing bowls. Um, we did, um, you know, the steel drum, you know, we did 20 different types of music and, uh, you know, some of it is like kind of sound bath related. Uh Um, but we, you know, we went deep into every sense. Um, so awesome. Um, you know, uh, we call them like calm down toys or fidgets Uh or fidget jewelry, you know, and everybody got to pick out what works for them. And, you know, everybody got a tote bag and got to fill it up with whatever works for them sensory wise so that they always have something to go to. And I work with a lot of young women and young women are kind of like transient in a sense, like, you know, they might be in high school and then they're going to a college and that college they didn't like, and then they're moving to another college. And this is a bag they could bring with them no matter where they're going or on vacation or, you know, whatever. So they always have um, something to go to that is sensory soothing based off of their own specific needs. That is freaking awesome. I love that idea. So, so is it like a one day experience? What was it? Yes. It's a one day experience for two hours uh, in a very like comfortable, soothing environment. Mm -hmm. Um, And and honestly, I consider we just play. (laughs) You know, we are there to play, Um, you know, whether we're children or adults, like, you know, we need to keep, keep in touch with the ability to play. Um, And so we are just messing around with stuff um, and, you know, playing different instruments, um, just finding out what works for us and what doesn't. Do you feel like two hours of doing that though, would that put you into any kind of like sensory overload almost? I mean, it certainly could if um, we used like really uh heavy sensory stuff yeah. um I I um, I could just imagine being exhausted by the end of that of like huh like <laughs> so many good things at once right <laughs> yes yes um so I you know I'm sure that's possible we try to keep it pretty low energy gotcha. um yeah so are you and- gonna do more of those because I think that people would I would I would love to give that as a resource to people and put it in the show notes so people will be able to register if you do more of those Yes. I want to do them monthly or quarterly. And my first one, I only offered to my clients, but like next time I'm going to offer it to like the general public. They're not large groups. Um, you know, probably, uh, four people max, you know, cause I want everyone to have the space to play and experience these things. Um, but I definitely want to do more of them. Um, another, uh, group that I'm, you know, kind of in the works coming up with is crafting and coping. Um, where we have like a, uh, like a hundred different coping skills on the table and we pick things that would work for us. And we create like this really beautiful wooden box, um, to put them in. 
And then, you know, we can just draw out a coping skill for when we need I it. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's coming up, but I don't, I don't, I don't have an exact date for it yet. Well, I'm going to make sure to give everybody your contact information so that they can just kind of like follow along and contact you if, if that's something that they're interested in. Yes. And I have some of my resources on my website, um, www.megantherapist.com. Okay, perfect. Yeah. I'll put that in the show notes too. Um, is there anything that you wanted to share that we didn't get to today? Um, I know you had some really big points that you wanted to make sure that we covered. So is there anything that we... Sure. No, I mean, I, uh, I'm glad you brought up the uh, sensory group because sensory sensitivities and sensory seeking was a big thing I wanted to talk about. You know, a lot of people go their whole lives without realizing um, what they are sensitive or seeking. You know, a lot of people, like I, I know when, um, when I was a kid, I would rock back and forth. Yeah. Okay. And like, that was like a weird thing, but now I know that's like a stim, right? That's like, a, that's like something that uh, neurodivergent people do and it like helps them to regulate. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, um, you know, being able to identify, um, you know, I know, especially with kids like, Hey, um, it, do you, do you like certain fabrics or do you like to wear certain types of clothes? And they're always like, Oh yes, absolutely. Like I can't wear this, but I always wear this yeah. and you know, that sort of thing. Um, so, uh, you know, I love, I love the sensory stuff. I'm really into the sensory stuff. So to wrap up, I always ask my guests this one question because I think it's because I'm so into all parts work. Um, I just love to ask this question. So if you could go back and tell your younger self one thing now that you have all of this life experience and knowledge and wisdom that you have, um, if you could go back and tell her one thing, what would it be? And it doesn't have to be related to what we talked about today necessarily. Um, but what would you want her to know? Sure. So uh, this is just a little bit of background. Um, since um, like first and second grade, I was in special education and the gifted program. Um, and that is now known as being twice exceptional. But in, you know, 1992, that was just Megan, the weird girl. Mm. Like there was nobody else in both programs and they did not know what to do with yeah. me. And I didn't know what to do with myself. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know, you know, should I play with these kids or with these kids or, you know, the kids in my, uh, you know, regular ed class, or, um, I was taken out of the classroom a lot into, you know, gifted, gifted day. And then, you know, for, um, you know, some math, I was taken to the special education room. And so I was kind of really all over the place and I, I didn't know, um, how to fit in where I wanted to fit in. Um, and so I would, you know, have, uh, my younger self really focus on self-acceptance, appreciating my quirks and my differences. Um, you know, uh, I would tell myself it, it, it's okay to be yourself. You don't have to try to be anything else. Um, I There's like one little story when I was in um, probably sixth or seventh grade, like Abercrombie and Fitch was like really yeah. cool. <laughs> and um, my parents take me there and like, we didn't have a whole lot of money. So like there was this one like sweater on sale and I was like, all right, if I could just... It, get this sweater. I'll be so cool at school. It'll be fine. The sweater was scratchy and itchy and I hated it and I could not be myself in it. And I wore it probably a couple times a week. Like I just like trying to fit in, yeah. trying so hard. And, and it's just, you know, I, I wish I could tell myself to just burn the sweater <laughs> yeah. and, you know, keep, you know, getting a hundred percent cotton. Like, <laughs> uh, so that is, um, 
you know, I, and, and, and that's who I try to be for other people is, you know, to kind of just sit down face to face with somebody and say like who you are in this moment is completely okay. And I fully accept you. And I really want to help you accept yourself. Oh my God. I love that so much. You are such an incredible person. Oh, Julie, thank you. I'm so so glad I know you. (laughs) So glad I know you too. Well, thank you for being here today. I'm sure people are going to have like a lot of questions. And so I'm going to make sure to put all of your information in the show notes so that you guys can contact Megan, um, especially if you want to work with her. I think that's all we have today. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being here. Um, Hope everybody has a good week. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Outside of Session. Remember, while I am a licensed therapist, this podcast is not a substitute for individual therapy. The contents of this episode are for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you are having a mental health emergency, please dial 911 for immediate assistance or dial 988 for the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline.